Hey guys, today we are starting a new series called Elementary, subtitled Two Kingdoms, One Reality. <laughs> um, and today is the first episode, and the first episode is Through the Looking Glass. Yes, that is a Lewis Carroll reference, but did you know Lewis Carroll is not Lewis Carroll? <laughs> it's not his real name. Hey guys, this is a Construction Monk podcast. I'm your host, Jay Randall Ori, and in this series, we will be exploring the metaphysical supernatural, the reality behind reality, which is the truest reality, the elementary principles, the elementary reality of the world, which is spiritual. And that's what we're going to be exploring. And this first episode is just an introduction. So without further ado, let's get into it. All right, today we will be going through the looking glass. We will be entering into a alternate reality, <laughs> a different dimension, <laughs> the twilight zone. Do, 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 do. <laughs> hey, this is pretty cool. By the time you hear this, it might actually be Halloween. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Anyway, you know, we're just kind of going to get an introduction into this. What we're, you know, some of what we'll be talking about is metaphysics and the supernatural versus naturalism and materialism. Like, the different ways of viewing the world. These are all really philosophical approaches to the world. But we'll talk about metaphysics and what that is. You know, it's a, it's a questions of origin. Where did we come from? Where does everything come from? What does it all mean, <laughs> right? We'll also be talking about Lewis Carroll's book, Through the Looking Glass. It's an interesting metaphor for this whole discussion. Um... But I'm going to start with a children's nursery rhyme type song. I don't know, man. I, I, have you ever heard the song, Inchworm? Inchworm, inchworm, measuring the marigolds. Seems to me you'd stop and see how beautiful they are. Ever heard that kid song? It starts out, two and two are four, four and four are eight. You know, it's like measurements. It's like a, it's kind of a counting song for young children, right? But like, I thought it was an interesting commentary on life. It's like, hey, it's like the singer is speaking to this instrument. He's like, hey, you're measuring the miracles, right? Because he, he bunches his body up in the middle and then he stretches it out. He's like, you and your arithmetic, you probably, you'll probably go far. But it seems to me you'd stop and see how beautiful they are, the, the marigolds, right? It's interesting like in this children's song speaking to an inchworm it's like hey like i know that you have stuff to do and you're accomplishing things and you're on a journey and you're getting somewhere but have you stopped to consider why you're even here like look where you're at look around look around you what's going on around you do you understand the reality of the world you live in the beauty of the world you live in do you understand the deeper reality of the world you live in so, <laughs> it's a kid song, but dang, that's some deep stuff right there, man. Um, I was also reminded of this Albert Schweitzer quote. He was like a 
19th century doctor, missionary, Christian thinker, philosopher. And um, he had this quote. In hopes of reaching the moon, men fail to see the flowers that blossom at their feet. Um, you know, it's an interesting statement, right? Again, flowers, right? We talked about the marigolds and the inchworm, and now it's like, Schweitzer is like, in hopes of reaching the moon, men fail to see the flowers that blossom at their feet. Like, we're so focused on productivity and accomplishment, and have we stopped to consider where, right where we are, what's, all, what's around us right where we are. Like, why are we even pursuing the moon? Why even do that? Hey, inchworm, why are you even moving along the marigolds? Why? That's metaphysics. Cool, huh? Um, so, by the way, I am in the woods because I, oh, I just tripped over a tree root on the path and almost landed on my face. <laughs> Speaking of being aware of your surroundings, Batman. <laughs> that was the first Batman movie with Christian Bale, by the way. It was a continuing theme in that first movie. Hey, go look that up, man. Cultural references here, baby. Uh, <laughs> anyway... Metaphysics, it, it comes from Greek, meta, and physica. It's like after the things of nature is one way to look at it. Um, after or behind or among nature. Or like the, what's behind the physical created world? Like meta means like above or beyond the physical, metaphysical. Like there's the physical world. And then there's the world behind it, or above it, or beyond it, or it's like the seen and the unseen, right? It's a branch of philosophy, um, and it's the study of things that cannot be reached through objective study of the material world, right? It's like there's a, there's things the natural sciences deal with what can be seen, touched, tested, and then metaphysics, philosophy deals with things that are intangible. Part of that would be the supernatural. Part of that would be things like love and desire. Like psychology is kind of like the behavioral sciences are kind of like in between the natural sciences and metaphysics or philosophy. Like because behaviors are things we can see, but what's behind them, right? So it's like there's these kind of three main swaths of science. The natural sciences, the behavioral sciences or social sciences, and then metaphysical sciences, right? Like, metaphysical sciences are pure non-physical, right? Kind of the opposite of metaphysics and a metaphysical supernatural approach to the world is a natural or material approach, which really, this is another branch of philosophy, but it's like says, hey, all we need to know about the world can be derived from what is physical and material. The natural world. We don't need to, there's nothing more to the world. Like, in its most extreme, it's like there's nothing more to the world than that. That wasn't the only way naturalism first interpreted the world, but it first kind of said it, that's the most important. The natural is we can derive from the natural everything we need to know about the world, even our purpose and meaning, right? And it kind of put the natural world as the most important. Christianity, religion often puts the supernatural as more important. Like if you're trying to understand why you're here, what you should be doing, who you are, what everything means, it's these two Two different philosophies, naturalism and supernaturalism. The physical world and the metaphysical world. And 
naturalism says you don't need to to see behind the world. There's, whether there's anything there or not, you can drive. You can figure out who you are, why you're here, from just the natural world, right? You can get all the meaning you need in life from just being a physical being in the natural world. Well, metaphysics is the opposite. It says no. That's just the surface of things. There's a deeper reality. And so that's the importance of metaphysics. And that's what we're talking about in this series, elementary. Like another word for elementary would be basic or rudimentary. Like what is the most basic driving force of reality? Why do you do the things you do? Why are you drawn towards certain things? There's a deeper energy to the world. That's the supernatural and the metaphysical, right? How often do we stop and think about what drives us, right? That's part of what we'll be talking about. And, of course, the Christian worldview is that there are these two kingdoms, gods and satans, and these are the main drivers of the world. Not only did the world come from the supernatural, but it's still driven by the supernatural reality, right? Two kingdoms, one reality. That one reality is spiritual, Everything comes from that. Everything came from that. Everything still comes from that. If you understand the supernatural, you understand everything. Even the natural. You can't understand the natural without the supernatural. That is what elementary is about. And this is what contemplation is about. I'm a contemplative. A lot of my understanding of Christianity, Jesus, the Bible, it's contemplative. Contemplation was... A practice of getting in tune with God and spiritual reality through meditation uh, that started in the third century with the Desert Fathers, became kind of codified, institutionalized in the monasteries through the Middle Ages, continues to today um, with people like Richard Rohr, Thomas Merton, Henry Nguyen, and others. Um, but it's this idea that. Contemplation, the word really means, literally means a long look at something, but it it actually means to try to start to observe yourself. Why are you doing the things you do? Why are you driven to do certain things? Why do you have certain compulsions? So contemplation is spending time really with the Holy Spirit trying to understand what drives you and whether it's good or bad. Really, you could say trying to understand what you do in light of two kingdoms and one reality. It's elementary. It's basic. Like, as complex as the world may seem to us, it's driven by two basic energies, God and Satan, darkness and light, good and evil. That's what elementary is about. It's about understanding the most basic nature of the world. And, um... You know, as we go along in this series, I'm not sure how long it will be. We're going to kind of play off of the Trinitarian, um, the Trinitarian concepts of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and Satan's Trinitarian concepts of how he tries to counter those things. And we'll explore kind of two main passages throughout the series, although we'll have a lot of others that we'll throw in there. But two main passages would be Revelations 21-22, where it talks about God's kingdom. It talks about the New Jerusalem. It's really interesting because in in that passage, it it describes the city of God, but it's really talking about the way that God orders life. God's kingdom isn't an actual city. Like, eventually, New Jerusalem comes down to earth, which is interesting. We don't go up to heaven. Heaven comes down to us. But 
It describes this, the physicality of this kingdom, but it's actually descri- describing the attributes of how God organizes life and orders life in, in the way that is good. So we'll, just, we'll talk about that. And then there's the temptation of Jesus from Matthew and Luke. And there's three temptations. And those three temptations represent the three dominant characteristics of the Trinity and the ways that Satan tries to undermine those things and, re- and supplant them or replace them, right? So, and that's going to help us understand the elementary energy and driving force in the world and how it affects us and how we can kind of understand it better in order to move through the world and really align ourselves with reality as it truly is. Okay. Oh boy, through the looking glass. I thought this was really interesting. Um, written by Lewis Carroll. Through the Looking Glass was actually the, the sequel to his first book called Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. Um, Lewis Carroll was actually not Lewis Carroll, as I said. His name was Charles Ludwig Dodson. Um, he became later known as Lewis Carroll. That was a pen name he adapted. But man, he didn't start writing until later in his life. Um, he was a mathematician, and he was a mathematician at oh, uh, Christ Church, Oxford. It was a university. Like his family was a long line of Anglican priests, and uh, like his, you know, um, high, like they were very, very high church people. His father, his grandfather, his great grandfather—they all were kind of higher up in the Anglican church. He chose not to go into the church. He kind of wasn't very interested in being clergy so he became a professor i don't really know if he was a professor of mathematics or not but he was a mathematician that was his main thing but it was interesting the way he came to write alice's adventures in wonderland and through the looking glass was you know uh there was a a dean that came to Christ Church University named Henry Lydell in 1856. And he had, he was a young family. Uh, I don't know how many kids he had, but he had three daughters in particular. And Lewis Carroll, who's really named Dobson, Do- Dodson, um, he got to know this family and he spent a lot of time with Lydell's wife and three children, our three daughters in particular. And um, one of his daughters was named Alice. He swears that he didn't, name his character after this daughter of his friend. <laughs> but anyway, so um, he he was out with the family one time in, in 1862. It's like July 4th, interesting. And um, he told this story to Alice and she begged him to write it down. And eventually he did. And that was the manuscript that eventually became Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, it, he called it Alice's Adv- Adventures Underground. But like, you know, it was interesting. Like, he's a mathematician, right? You know, kind of was a professor and had his life established. And then he meets this family and he's hanging around with these daughters of this family. And he's encouraged, you know, I guess he was just a natural storyteller. But then he was encouraged to actually do something with these stories. So he did. It changed his whole life. It's interesting. You know, part of what we're going to talk about is like, we think the world works a certain way. And then sometimes one thing comes along and totally upends everything. Um, just like it did for Dotson. 
You know, he was a mathematician. His life was kind of set. And then he meets this family and these girls, and he starts to tell them his stories. And this young girl, Alice, is like, hey, you should write that down. You should turn that into a book. And he does. And this is why we know him today. We don't know him for his mathematical genius. We know him because he wrote these really interesting wild stories. Um, and I think it was really interesting, the story itself, Through the Looking Glass. We, we tend to know the first story, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, or Alice in Wonderland, as it was shortened to for the Disney movie. But we know she falls down a hole, and she gets into this world, and this world's really crazy, right? It's all these crazy things. Through the Looking Glass... The sequel. She actually enters um, the whatever this fantastical world through a mirror. That's the looking glass. I know sometimes we picture a looking glass as a telescope or something, but it was actually a mirror. It's called a looking glass because you looked at yourself in it, right? She goes through this looking glass. She climbs through it, and the world that she encounters is flipped. Everything is backwards, and it's like a reflection of every like. Even logic. Running helps one remain stationary. Walking away from something brings one towards it. Chessmen are alive. No sure characters exist. And so on. Like, everything's backwards. It's like, Alice in Through the Looking Glass goes back into this crazy world and everything's reversed. Everything's upside down. Everything's backwards to the way we think it works. That's exactly how spiritual reality works. It's backwards to how we think the world should work or how it works in the physical Seven years ago, I had a breakdown. Part of that breakdown was God taking the dampening effect off of my sensitivity to spiritual things. I have the gift of spiritual discernment. I've had it all my life, but I had run from it. I had a, it was overwhelming for me, naturally so. I hadn't learned how to I hadn't learned how to use it or live in it or exercise it. I had learned how to cope with it by numbing to it. Seven years ago, God pulled the lid off of my sensitivity and how I numbed. And he began to show me how to walk in spiritual discernment. But it was like going through the looking glass with Alice. It was like everything turned upside down. Everything, how I thought everything worked, it didn't work that way anymore. How I used to cope with the world didn't work anymore. How I used to manage my stress, how I used to, uh, you know, interact with people, how I oriented myself towards people and the world, it was like, didn't work anymore. It was totally different than what I thought. It was like I entered this weird space where nothing worked like it did for me before. But you know what it was? It was God starting to introduce me to the way the world works and His reality. Spiritual reality is God's reality and the physical reality has come from it and so often should mirror it, but there is this alternate kingdom, Satan's, who has managed to usurp the world away from God and to kind of wrap us up in a system that doesn't not all, it not only doesn't work like God wants but it works in opposition to God which means that it is opposite of the way God wants it teaches us how to live life independent of God where we are our own masters where we are our own gods and we can do whatever we want or so we think and so the world we grow up in is backwards to the world as God sees it and as it truly is we're actually living in the world that's through the looking glass. And the real world is the world we are separated from. And we have to go through the looking glass back to the world as it was meant to be. In a way, we went through the looking glass through the fall, separated from God, 
we have developed and learned how to live life separate from God, which is backwards to the way it's meant to be. So we, we do everything backwards. Like Alice, to the looking glass in Wonderland, we think we're getting towards something when we're actually moving away from it. Because we're so disoriented and so oriented away from God in the world as we know it, that it's all backwards. <laughs> and so the seven years since my breakdown, God's had to reorient me in a different way to see things as they truly are, not in my control, but under the control and dominion of God. It's so crazy, the reality of the way things are versus how we've been taught and how we've learned under this false reality that Satan has created, right? And you know, I mean... Sometimes that seems a little hard to believe, right? But let's let's see what Scripture says. Um, I've got three different passages. We're not going to go to Revelations or Matthew and Luke. Those those we'll get to later. I just want to show you that there is this elemental reality to the world, and Scripture talks about it. Galatians, not so. <laughs> um, I saw this map by, before we get to the scriptures. I, I, I saw this in my notes, and I'll, I'll go ahead and hit this first. I saw this map. It's every state's least favorite state. And so it shows, like, if you live in this state, you kind of, then it orients you in such a way that this is your, this, these other states are your least favorite. And so I thought it was a good depiction of how relativized we are to, by our own position in the world. And so it's pretty interesting. Typically, this is the United States, typically... The state that, that a state hates the most is the state next to it, typically. Like for Kentucky, it's Tennessee. For Tennessee, it's Kentucky. And, you know, often that's probably due to sports college rivalries and those kinds of things. But there was one glaring um, aberration to that, generally, where states don't like the state next to them. And that was California. <laughs> so you've got California in red, and California doesn't like Texas and... Um, I guess it's uh, uh, Oklahoma and I don't know what the other one is. The map doesn't show the names of the states. But but there are two, four, six, eight. There are ten states all surrounding California that hate California. It's, it's blue. Like, California doesn't like a few states. All the states around California don't like California. And it was like, whoa. It's like this big, huge blue all around California. And they don't like California. <laughs> But man, I was thinking about that. I was looking at the map and I was like, man, so, so much of how we see the world is oriented by where we are in it. Like we have this very limited perspective. Our perspective is very relativized by our position in the world. We don't see the world as it truly is often in any way. And this map just illustrated a very simple kind of geographical way we often orient ourselves and are distorted in our view of the world, right? If you were born in or raised or live in Kentucky, you probably don't like Tennessee. Tennessee, you probably don't like Kentucky. Uh, If you live in Texas, you don't like Oklahoma, which is right above, right? And uh, vice versa, Oklahoma doesn't like Texas, but it's like, it's relative. It's like, just because you happen to live in a state, you don't typically like the state next to you. But if you lived in that other state, you wouldn't like the state you're in. (laughs) But God sees things true. God sees things not distorted by time, space, and place. 
What does scripture say about the elementary reality of the world? Uh, three passages, Galatians, one in Galatians, two in Colossians. I've looked both of these up in two different translations because I want you to see kind of the different ways that different translators translate this word elemental or elementary. Um, let's see. Galatians chapter 4, verse 3. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. And, and that's the NIV. The NSA, NASB says, we were chi- when we were children, we were held in bondage under the elementary principles of the world. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. See to it that there is no one who takes you captive through empty philosophy and empty deception in accordance with human tradition, in accordance with the elementary principles of the world, rather than in accordance with Christ. That's the NASB. The NIV says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. Okay? So one says, in both of these passages, we see one translation says elementary principles of the world. The other says elementary spiritual forces of the world. And then Colossians um, chapter 2, verse 20. Since you died with Christ to the elementary principles of of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to its decrees? That's the NASB and then the NIV. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? The word world in Scripture typically means an ordered system. There are these elemental principles of of a system. But the NIV gives a little further clarification when it says elemental spiritual forces of the world. There, I think both of those two are correct. There are principles of a system that we live in called the world, and it's established by spiritual forces. Translation. How we think the world works and how we've grown up in the world is highly defined by elemental spiritual forces, both good and bad. Like... This is why I studied culture. I've studied metaphysics at the uh, bachelor's and master's level. Like culture, metaphysics, it all deals with the reality that we are highly influenced by so many things around us, yet we don't n- even understand it. Right? There are all these forces around us, whether you believe in the supernatural or not. There are all these forces around you influencing you. But most people walk through life and go, well, this is just the way it is. We're so relativized by our position in the world, as that map displayed. We just think, well, if you live in Kentucky, of course you don't like Tennessee. If you live in Tennessee, of course you don't like Kentucky. And it's, but if you live in Tennessee and you don't like Kentucky, you just think, well, that's natural. Of course, why would anybody like Kentucky? But if you step outside your state, obviously... And you go up to some person, you're like, oh, man, can you, can you believe those Kentuckians? Jeez. They'd be like, uh, I'm not, no, it's not those people I don't like. I don't like the Californians. <laughs> and, you know, it's like we're so, we're so relativized, but we don't realize it. That's culture. That's metaphysics. Is There are many things unnameable, unobservable to us on the surface that, are, that influence us. 
And the highest example of that is the elemental spiritual forces of the world and their principles, their ideals, their ideas, their ways of living life. We're very influenced by things we really have no idea of. But we can. We can have an idea. Scripture talks about two kingdoms. This was Jesus' main message. He came preaching the kingdom of God. He came saying, the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is at hand. Enter the kingdom of God. To enter the kingdom of God, you must do this. You must do that. The kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is like that. What he was saying was, this is what it looks like to live life with God. This is what it looks like when you're attuned to the world the way God is attuned to the world, through the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is why it was so important for Jesus to send the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the teacher, the spirit of unity, the spirit of truth. Jesus did not come and give us a philosophy. And Colossians chapter 2, verse 8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. He's talking about Greek philosophy. He's talking about human logic and reasoning. He's saying it's hollow, it's deceptive. If you think, what? Mindset on the flesh. If you think you can figure out the problem and solve it yourself, you're crazy because you don't even understand the deepest reality of the world. You can't, you, you can't see it. And uh, Corinthians, he says that, you know, the, the rulers of this age that crucified Christ, you know, they did so because they couldn't understand who he was. Uh, I'm, I'm really watching that. But he's like, you know, we cannot understand Jesus. We cannot understand the true reality of things through our own minds, through empty, hollow human philosophy. He says, because it depends on human tradition and, ooh, listen, listen. It depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of the world. Ooh, listen, people, listen. There is a philosophy that is human-born, but is actually created by Satan. It is a system that says, you're smart, you can figure it out, you can tackle it, you just got to get the right ideas, the right system... You can master it. You can build that tower. You can build that city. You can build those infrastructures. You can control nature. You can control your food supplies. You shouldn't go through seasons. There is a system, elemental, spiritual. It's full of principles. It's behind human tradition. Why? Because its whole focus is human tradition, philosophy, hollow, deceptive philosophy. Its whole point is, you don't need God. What God? Don't you see You see God anywhere? I'm in the woods. Don't see God. God's nowhere. Naturalism, materialism. Human tradition's enough. We don't need anything more than what we can see and what we can do. But, note, that whole philosophy comes from a spiritual force. <laughs> There is a spiritual kingdom that wants you to believe you don't need to even know about spiritual kingdoms and forces. What? The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he does not exist. Right? Satan's like, "Eh, I'm not here. God's not here. Do what you want. You can figure it out. This is the system designed by a spiritual force that wants you to be your own God. Because, effectively then, 
You won't see God. Why don't we see God? Because we're wrapped up in a system designed to keep us from seeing God. It's a it's it's an elementary spiritual force in the world. But what? Spiritual, su- supernatural, metaphysical means it's beyond what we can see in the natural world. And if all we know how to see is the natural world and the way the natural world works, we won't see it. It's not so easy to see. It's rudimentary. It's basic. It's elementary. It's a reality below reality. It's harder to see. But it is a foundational reality. But that's what also makes it harder to see. Like, human tradition and the world we created, I don't know if you realize, but it's very complex. God's system is really simple. It's so simple sometimes we can't even fathom that it's there. What? Really? God? If I just do what God says, if I learn how to be in tune with God and keep in step with the Holy Spirit, then my life will be good. Like, I don't need to do all these things to get joy and peace and love and provision. Like, I just need to trust God to give it to me. That sounds childish. That sounds too basic, too elementary. Can't work that way, really. That doesn't make sense. If I don't get out there and hustle and get it, it's not going to happen. It's not going to be given to me. The world doesn't drop things at my feet I gotta hustle and go out and get them so the elementary reality is also basic it's simple God and Satan Satan's trying to kill you God's trying to bring you back to life God has what's good for you knows what's good for you will give what's good to you and Satan wants to keep you from it Ah, it's not this world we see it's a world we don't see it's elementary it's simple But it's hard to believe. Why? Because we're not acclimated to it. That's the simple truth. Right. We need to go back through the looking glass. We need to realize we were sucked into a false reality. We've become a false self. We've gotten adapted into a false system. And we think that the way the world works is the way the world is meant to work. But it's not. And... We've got to start to wake up to that reality. God did that for me seven years ago. It was difficult. It was terrible. It was disorienting. It shook me to the core. For God to reprogram my whole way of thinking and living and feeling and being. It's been like dying. And being reborn. New life in God. New life in Christ. Yeah, that sounds good. Gotta die first. Doesn't sound so good. That doesn't feel good. It's necessary that we die to this system we're used to in order to go back through the looking glass. And that's what we're going to talk about in this series. Elementary. What does it look like to begin to really recognize the truest reality at the heart of all reality? The simple, basic, rudimentary, elementary principles of the spiritual forces in the world which are the truest reality of the world that's what we'll be talking about all right guys that's it hey um you know the last series was jesus don't take the wheel in the last episode i talked about the fight that we're in I talked about the reality of these two kingdoms a little bit. 
So if you haven't noticed, a lot of my series say feed into the next and the next and the next, you know, uh, burden of proof, truth, Jesus don't take the wheel, sojourning, all these are kind of leading up. And this is kind of the culminating series because this is something God's been teaching me. It's something that wasn't taught me through my church. You know, my church was more naturalistic and materialistic, like do these things, give your tithe, come to this place, believe these things, that's it. Mm, Not it. So God's had to teach me, had to reorient me in a different way to see the world as he sees the world. And that's what I've been talking about and what we'll address hopefully in a clear and concise way in this series called Elementary. But the first truth is you're on the wrong side of the looking glass, but you don't know it. You've learned only one way of doing life, but it's actually been designed by the wrong spiritual force, Satan and his kingdom. But you have no, no way of knowing that. You have nothing to compare it to until you come back to God and start to walk with the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit can show you, but only the Holy Spirit can show you because you have no re- frame of reference for this. That's what we're going to keep talking about in this series, Elementary. Hey, guys, thanks for listening. This has been a Construction Monk podcast. I'm your host, Jay Randall Ori. Thanks for joining me. As always, you can catch more content at www.moderncontemplative.com. Love you guys. Bye.